This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest of a podcast today is Karim Hiyaji, founder and CEO of Prevalian. What makes us uniquely different is that instead of looking at the victim organizations and determining by way of investigations and looking through their data to see if they have anything that could, can be considered malicious, we actually chase down the, the adversary, back to your, your point about that. We look for the infrastructure that these criminals set up. Those servers are intended to be the equivalency of what would be like a dumping zone or drop zone for, for something. That dumpster is effectively the equivalency of what we're looking for online to infiltrate and sit and wait to see what actually gets dumped there. And we do this without the adversary's understanding of that. So what's really powerful about that, Tom, is that because it's digital, everyone that gets impacted by these adversaries all communicate to that digital dumpster, if you will. And we are able to see who's victimized by it, just like the adversary can see. So our perspective is that of the adversary. And that does exactly what you said. It highlights the fact that the security technologies in these organizations may or may not be working. This is Karim. He's a security veteran who has worked closely with the US intelligence community for many, many years. He's been at the forefront of attacker counterintelligence and infiltration research for the last decade, developing new ways for security teams to clandestinely monitor hackers and anticipate attacks before they happen. His previous startup, Unvalence, was acquired by Mandiant in 2012 and Kareem noticed a vulnerability in the way businesses have begun to rely on third-party partners. The size of a business parameter has increased along with the size of their third-party ecosystem, and there was no clear way to monitor that vast new space. And that inspired the start of Prevalion. Prevalion envisions a world in which the adversary no longer has the benefit of stealth and surprise, but is instead openly tracked and monitored through a real-time intelligent platform that all companies and organizations have access to. Through clear visibility and real-time tracking, we can turn the tables on threat actors and give network defenders the upper hand. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Kareem to my podcast. We explore what is broken in that market of cybercrime protection. Why the typical reactive approach of traditional solutions is more a hinder than a help, and why to really tackle this problem, 
we have to approach it by taking an outside-in perspective. We discuss the challenges of solving this problem, not only technically, but most of all also commercially, since so much is in changing perspectives and behaviors. And as such, you'll be inspired with some fresh thinking and true entrepreneurial mindset. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, how creative spirit combined with highly technical science skills can give you an advantage that's hard to beat. Secondly, why instead of creating solutions that are about repairing something that's broken, we should aim our efforts at taking out the root cause. Thirdly, that we're too focused on communicating how we help reduce cost, while we can easily flip the narrative around how our solutions accelerate growth. And fourthly, how to create critical mass by changing behavior of people. So hi Kareem, thank you for making the time today and be a guest on my podcast. Hi Tom, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, I reached out to you. That's, I think, how it went. But I mean, I got, I got pretty impressed with, with your company, Prevalian. And we've already had a pre-conversation before this. And that, that sort of struck mm-hmm. a couple of strings with me even more. So <laughs> this is going to be a fascinating talk. And I open to many people about what is really going on. But before we start, a little bit about you. If you would have to use a couple of, well, two or three words to define yourself as a leader or tech entrepreneur, what words would you use? Sure. No, it's great questions. Um, curious, um, a risk taker. You kind of have to be in the line of work that I'm, I'm in specifically. You have to yeah. break a few eggs, so to speak. I think eager to learn, honestly, that's the, one of the big things about this. One of the parts of the story I don't know that we covered in, in the former conversation we had is that my formal education, believe it or not, is in, in liberal arts. It's, it's actually photography. So yeah. So, so interestingly enough, that creative spirit is necessary for the kind of work we're doing. Even though it's highly technical, yeah. it's almost more of an art than a science, what we're doing. There's a bit of a guild aspect and an apprenticeship aspect to what we're doing. And we treat that, that methodology translates into the way our company works. We bring people through the ranks. They don't necessarily have to come from some sort of deep subject matter ex- expertise or understanding. If they have the ambition... And as I uh, sort of famously say, the right kind of obsessive compulsive behavior, then they, they're a good fit. <laughs> obsessive <laughs> compulsive behavior, my God. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, people are, getting, yeah. <laughs> people are getting curious right now what is this going to be all about. So, yeah, let's, sure. get, let's, let's dig into Prevalian. Like, what is the sure. big idea behind this? Yeah. So Prevalian is my brainchild as of now, probably just cresting three to four years ago. And... The, the origins of the technology actually are a revitalization of something that I had built and designed a number of years ago, back in 2010 with another company. So the methodology is something that I was familiar with. But the big idea, as you put it, is very much to address a really challenging aspect of the world we live in, which is all the partnerships and ecosystem, partnership ecosystems that exist with organizations today. You know, some folks call it supply chain partnerships. That's a piece of it, in my opinion. Contractors, vendors, even customers represent a very interesting paradigm, especially now. And now with post-COVID, my God, we could talk for an hour, you and I, about that, which is that as an organization, your risks go beyond your perimeter. Now that your perimeter is basically nebulous and a bit ephemeral because you're having to connect with so many other organizations, they're security or the lack thereof represents an insecurity to your organization. And adversaries know that. And they'll 
leverage that what we call island hopping capability of getting into a weaker operationally insecure organization to then bounce into the one that they're looking to target. So what Prevalian has addressed successfully is the ability to see without any kind of incursion, no software, no hardware or anything, whether a partner organization is already compromised or hacked. And if you can know that, you can limit your exposure to that organization in advance and and entirely preempt any kind of compromise of your own organization. So pretty revolutionary. Yeah, it's almost like this is the next layer. I mean, we used to kind of check people's credibility and like financial yes. credibility with, for example, companies right. like Dun & Bradstreet. This, yeah. is, this is a completely different game, which is, okay, how secure are they? And yeah. if, they're, if they're not secure, if they're compromised, if they're hacked, what risks yeah. expose that to my organization? Well, I mean, you're talking about, you said already, I like that word, that phrase, break a couple of eggs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, and I recall from the previous conversation that we have, I mean, a number of companies or organizations in the industry were not exactly happy with the fact that Prevalian came to market, right? That's correct. Absolutely. Yeah, you bring up an excellent point. And it's funny because it's partially, you know, a controversial topic, but it's really a philosophical challenge because yeah. when I came up with the idea of the, of the technology, I had friends and colleagues on both sides of the fence. Some were on my side of it thinking this was a fantastic idea and this should absolutely be the next generation, as you put it, of the way effectively due diligence is conducted from a cyber perspective. Others were vehemently against it. Now, if you look at those colleagues and friends of mine, you'll get why they were on the respective sides of the fence. And the analogy we came up with was kind of an interesting one. Around the time that I was getting the company going, the show The Walking Dead was very famous, very popular, Still, still is, but not nearly the way it was then. So I used it as a very interesting analogy to what we do. And the question I posed to my friends were that, okay, so if you had the opportunity to go and obviously inoculate or vaccinate all of these zombies and turn them back to humans, of course we would do that. That's obviously a very important situation. And that's very much what the security industry suggests that you need to do. And then that's really the kind of the core concept here. However, it fails effectively, right? Because you're sort of, keeping up with an adversary that is much more dynamic and asymmetric by nature and really has very little to lose. They can try over and over and fail many times and just succeed once and then they've won. As a security professional, you can only fail once. And so it's a very yeah. asymmetric. But just to stop you yeah. here, I mean, you yeah. use the word adversary a couple of times for, mm-hmm. for people that don't know what that is. Yeah. Nation state actors, cyber crime groups, very organized, syndicated organizations that have every intention to either steal intellectual property or personally identifiable information and sell it. Yeah. yeah it's a very big enterprise these days. So. Exactly. Well, that's, thanks for, for explaining that. So yeah, you saw, I mean, there, of course, this, the whole notion of security has been around for ages. I mean, I remember part of Unit 4 when I still, was still there in, in the beginning of 2000, we actually mm-hmm. were the, one of the, well, we, the European distributor of, of McAfee, which of course is one of the big players out there. And things evolve. And of course, there are still breaches. And of course, yes. yeah, when that is kind of highlighted, and you say, <laughs> with, our, with our software, there's no breach. Yeah, you have, a, you have something to explain. <laughs> right, that's, that's the thing. And that, that might be a good segue to explain a little bit of the difference with what we do versus maybe a defensive yeah. protective tool. Yeah, exactly. So what makes us uniquely different is that instead of looking at the victim organizations and determining by way of investigations and looking through their data to see if they have anything that could can be considered malicious. 
we actually chase down the the adversary back to your your point about that we look for the infrastructure that these criminals set up and that that infrastructure is basically dns communications or for those that don't know what that is basically servers that are set up online right yeah. and those servers are intended to be the equivalency of what would be like a dumping zone or drop zone for for something so imagine a physical bank robber leave the bank with you know the bag of, of money and they dump it in a trash bin on some park by ne- some park bench somewhere and then come can come back and get it later or have some colleague come get it later that dumpster is effectively the equivalency of what we're looking for online to infiltrate right. and sit and wait to see what actually gets dumped there and we do this without the adversary's understanding of that so what's really powerful about that ton is that because it's digital, everyone that gets impacted by these adversaries all communicate to that digital dumpster, if you will. And we are able to see who's victimized by it, just like the adversary can see. So our perspective is that of the adversary. And that does exactly what you said. It highlights the fact that the security technologies in these organizations may or may not be working. Let me make a small interruption here. Kareem just explained in detail what sets them apart and what gives Prevalian defensible differentiation. The fact that they don't follow the traditional approach of trying to stop security breaches happening from within the four walls of a company, but by addressing the issue from the source. They are literally taking away the asymmetry of insights that the hackers have that do all the harm. And they're using that as a weapon to stop that harm from happening in the first place. And this is a trait remarkable software companies master. First of all, they aim to be different, not just better. And secondly, they create new value possibilities that drive value you could not possibly imagine years ago. And you can master these traits as well for your software company. And I got two options for you to start. First, read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. And you can find that on Amazon.com. Secondly, get into action right away and surround yourself by a group of like-minded people, tech founders and CEOs that can help you remove your blind spots, explore new paths, and sharpen your thinking. How? Just visit valueinspiration.com and see the videos where many of your peers share the experiences with our tribe and what they've come to value most. Back to the interview. Exactly, yeah. And then you go, well, I mean, let's tell. The, the big idea was that, what is the opportunity if you get this right? I mean, ideally, of mm-hmm. course, it's a simple thing, okay, no crime, no cybercrime. These guys are put on a dead-end road, so to say. Right. That's that's the the end goal. I mean, well, how big is this problem at the end? The problem is massive to begin with, and getting bigger now that we've had this pandemic. Because a couple of reasons: yeah. one, it's extremely easy and lucrative to do. It's effectively anonymous. I mean, with the exception yeah. of groups like ourselves that can determine who the actor is behind the operation. But for the average individual or security practitioner that's looking for the malware, if you will, that is within the organization. That malware could have been deployed by anyone. So it's, it's a very, very useful tool to work with. And it's something that can be rapidly spun back down and back up very rapidly. So when you hear about these big takedowns by Microsoft or the FBI or others, while they do impact some of these adversaries and their operations, this, the bad news is they can spin back up within hours or days. Yeah, and so all these warrants and you know, court orders really kind of account for very little. <laughs> True. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, of course, an issue. And I think the biggest problem at the end is that organizations, 
of organizations of big reputation yes. think they are completely secure. That is correct. Or if they don't, then they unfortunately are very embarrassed to share any realities about what's going on, which of course flies in the face of compliance and a lot of regulatory issues. So, so to your point earlier about people sort of being a little upset that we exist, excited and upset at the same time, because we obviously highlight and shine a very big light on the nest of vipers that tend to, to think that they were safe forever. We also are a very strong disclosure platform. So this starts to dovetail into the M&A business where if an organization wants to buy another one, we, we use, we're used in that capacity. Insurance is a huge one. We could talk about that for an, an entire hour, but that one is a very, very big, big deal because we work on both sides of the equation. We can help the insurance yeah. company determine policy creation and, and appropriate premiums and, and terms. And then we can also help the policy holder. Yeah. That is a good segue here because, I mean, talking about the opportunity, it's, it's not about pointing your finger at something that is, that is like dirty. At the end, right. how you, what I liked about the first conversation that we had is that you're actually not using it to do that, but actually to use it to create value. And talk about that. I mean, yeah. what are you doing and how does this help to create upside? That's my favorite question, actually, of this whole thing. Because while I'm absolutely you know, proud of our technological expertise, this is really a business intelligence product. It's less so a security product. For one, it doesn't do any security at all. It's just, it's just an intelligence tool, right? It provides visibility into what was otherwise unknown. But to your point, you know, for the last 25 years of me doing this, I've watched cybersecurity and intelligence products live as a cost center within an organization. The begrudging purchase of these tools because they either have to do it for compliance reasons or they've had a very bad event and now they are forced to, to do it. And it always bothered me that this should be something that we should be able to flip the, the narrative around and make it a profitability-based tool, right? So you take something like Prevalian, you're able to see an organization that now, you know, in any of these situations, in an M&A case, I'll use that as an example, there's always a bit of a winner, more of a winner than a, there's a bit of a loser in the equation, right? Someone effectively wins. It's never always a win-win. So if we were able to imagine if Prevalian existed during the Yahoo Verizon merger or acquisition or the Marriott and SPG one, right? Where both yep. of those situations represented one organization buying another, unbeknownst of the issues that they were inheriting, if Prevalian was there to be able to articulate, you know, you might want to change the terms of the deal or buy some acquisition insurance or maybe take $60, $70 million off the price tag because, frankly, you're going to have to do a lot of cleanup once you own this. This changes the business dynamics dramatically for the, yes. for the winner in this case. Yeah, exactly. Because you, you, yeah, you give that network view on that organization, everything they are connected to. That's yes. uh, you're, you're open that, that, that you open that kimono. I mean, I like right. the point about, I'm not sure whether I saw it on your website or that we discussed it, but you give those organizations actually a competitive edge because you have, you give them insights that they can use to their advantage. And that's right. That's sometimes that's right. about big money. You're talking, you're talking about a couple of acquisitions that yeah, were, were pretty big in, in its size already. Very interesting uh, aspect. And I like, I like that approach because too often we, we think we create, we are in business to stop this, but if you, if you pivot it or you, if you flip it around, you're enabling something else. And that's the way to talk yes. about it because that's where the value comes from. So right. I mean, we talked about the aha moment. We talked about the, the opportunity and the big idea. Engineering-wise, so what did you do to the product to give it its remarkable value? So what really is unique about what we're doing is because we're not a software or hardware or even a configuration solution, we 
had to build an intelligence team to be able to learn what these adversarial infrastructures look like, where they are, pursue them, which is the sort of secret sauce of our company, right? Because it's one thing to identify them. It's another thing to be able to incur into them and effectively infiltrate the, the adversary, right? Do exactly what they do to the good guys, right? So yeah. we sort of flip the, the narrative onto the bad guys where now there are cyber crime groups that sit there very concerned that we might be there watching their activities. And now that incurs cost for them because the minute they have to do something that costs more, then the lucrative nature of the operation diminishes and they may forego it entirely because now they have to do the same things that we all do on the security side, which is invest in protecting their infrastructure, right? So I love that part of it from an ethical standpoint, right? Because now we're, chain- we're, we're, we're making the asymmetric quality, we're leveling it, right? <laughs> so yeah, so that, that's something that we really pride ourselves on and it was something that was unique to us and us alone. What it did, though, and as a segue to kind of the next part of this conversation, is that it did, in, in collecting all that telemetry, we see anywhere from thirty to 50,000 different organizations compromised at any given moment, as you saw on the platform last time we, we saw it. Yeah. So it's immense amounts of compromise. It's, it's tremendous, which is disturbing, right? On one front, it's very exhilarating because you're seeing all this data that otherwise no one knows. But then on the flip side, it's a very kind of heart-sinking feeling that, wow, we're really losing on the security side of the business. True. Despite yeah. what the marketing says. Yeah, exactly. And I like the approach that you took. It's like we talked about earlier on. It's this counterintuitive approach. Rather than fixing it, kind of go, go sit on the other side and yeah. just reveal it. Talking about product, product decisions and yeah, where do you invest your time and effort, what, 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 what Steve Jobs always said, is innovation is not about what you do, but it's about what you say no to. Any examples of that? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of folks have said, oh, wow, you have all this intel. Why don't you build the security tools and got, you know, all of it? Why don't, you, why don't you provide the entire scope and scale of, of that? We could. We would have to probably raise a substantial amount more money and we'd have to basically build what's reinvent the wheel a little bit. So that's, that's a tough one, right? Because that's something to where we do pervade, convey this bad news, if you will, at least to the folks that unfortunately find that they're compromised. And then we sort of have to say, listen, we're sorry, you're going to have to you know, work with some other organization to the, do the remediation. So there's a bit of this challenging story, but we did have to make that hard decision because quite honestly, this was a business decision, Ton. It was a, a very simple one. From a valuation standpoint, having a consultancy and having a bunch of bench consultants, frankly, just doesn't equate to any kind of accretive valuation uptick for us. So it was yeah. that simple. The other, the other thing was, could we, should we be explicitly a governmental product, right? Should we sell straight to government and no one else and never be a commercial product? And I was vehemently there, I'm all for selling to the government as well, but I didn't want to be looped into that to where now this gets into the bowels of a government and never sees the light of day for commercial because that's where the adversaries are lurking more. They're here. They're in the defense industrial base. They're in pharmaceuticals. They're in industrial. And that's where we need to be. And so sure. making that call was another controversial decision. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, 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 it goes back to the ultimate answer to the question like what is the what is the what business are you really in and you're not in the security business you're in a different business you solve a different problem for your organizations and that's where the real value comes from and it's so easy to to get to get carried away with the fact that you're in a specific space and that and that's what you do 
Yes. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's what you can do beyond that. That's fascinating. So what has been one of the toughest decisions in that whole process for you to say no to or, or actually to, to pull through? So the hardest part, actually, we're still going through it now, is that we knew we were going to be embarking on a huge educational campaign. That's the hardest time because, you know, behavior is the hardest thing to change with people. And then the other thing that we knew we were going to be up against was, you know, the concept that this tiny little cybersecurity or, or, you know, at least as we're termed cybersecurity firm startup is flying in the face of all these large organizations that say something completely different to your point, early point, you know, which is that everyone says everything's fine. So, you know, that's a, a big issue. We really reached this, this critical mass of can we, can, can the data speak for itself strong enough? And in some cases it has, in other cases, people simply have said, I don't want to believe what I'm seeing. I want to walk away from it. And, and so we've had to really make that call to sort of jump ahead and say, we're going to go and fly in the face of the industry norms and create a new paradigm, right? And that's the tough one. So we're in the throes of it as we speak. I, I wish I could tell you it was a past tense story, but it's not. We're still in it. No, no, no. So what do you believe is your biggest yeah, obstacle to remove to, to grow as fast as you hope for, uh, to? So there's a couple ways. One, as you put it, it's sort of the, the opening the kimono to a lot of organizations that otherwise may not want to know this information. So we're either going to have to do one of a couple things. Either we're going to have to become the standard by which other organizations measure themselves against, which is becoming the case. In fact, I think even since we started talking, we got awarded the Gardner Cool Vendor Award. Nice. Which is Congratulations. Yeah, Thank you. Exactly. Really appreciate that. What we love about that is that it shows that industry experts that are, you know, impartial in their assessments have looked at this compared to many other types of technologies and said, this is something that is worthy of, of being paid attention to. It's absolutely launched us into a lot more conversations than we would have had before. So people are starting to say, well, wait a second, this is not just them saying they're good. This is a very, very credible resource that says this is a very powerful capability. So oh, becoming a norm will be a big one, Right. And then, you know, as much as this may be something that ruffles some feathers when I say it, the more we start to share the disclosures of things. And the, the reason I say the way we share it, because anyone can sign up for the product and see anyone else, Tom. We don't limit this. So people ask me the question, what about competitive intelligence? What if Coke sees Pepsi? Well, then they see Pepsi or Coke sees or Pepsi sees Coke. We're not there to police the data. We're there to help limit the exposure from one organization to another's problems. And yeah. if that means that there's competitive intelligence use cases, well, so be it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I saw, your, I saw your platform. I saw a couple of names coming by, but I was like, uh-oh. Uh -oh. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So kind of bringing your company to where you are right now, at this, this crossroad of yeah, how do you kind of create that, that growth curve, becoming the norm? What do you believe is the secret that... To, to create a remarkable software business, like in, in line with the book that I wrote. What, is it, what are the traits that you believe are essential to do so? It's a really good one. And I know some of these are going to sound slightly cliche-like in some ways, which is, you know, you definitely don't want to be a solution looking for a problem, right? You kind of have to, you have to find the right timing, which is kind of the second piece, which is if the world's emerging in such a way that your solution is going to come about at the exact time, the perfect timing for where there's people looking for that. And it's hard to get that right. I'll be very honest with you. I mean, with us, when I started talking about supply chain and third-party 
it really just it was it was on the minds, but it was far from an actioning you know actionability play. So we got we kind of took the time to say, all right, let us kind of mature the product, get us to a point where this thing's a, a really a good place when it when it works, and then what you need to have are several, you know, really key events that happen that really drive it into the psyche of the mainstream. You know, I'm a big believer in the whole crossing the chasm notion, right? Where you have a bunch of early adopters that really like what they have and they want to be ahead of it, but getting across the hurdle to the mainstream is really a mixture of a bit of luck. I mean, I'm not trying to be silly, but it's a, it's luck of, of timing a product that meets the needs. And then, the last thing for a perfect software product, which I'll tell you, and this is the hardest part of it, building something simple is incredibly hard. <laughs> it's really easy to build things that are very complicated. I know that sounds yeah. counterintuitive. No, no, I completely so, agree with you. If you remember when I brought up the terminal or the platform in front of you, I in jest called it the Bloomberg Terminal of Compromise because I wanted to ride on existing behavioral norms and understandings of what people already expect to see and just apply different data into those models. And people have been very receptive to that. Yeah, exactly. Something they know and something they they, they can connect with. No, that's completely true. I actually had a, just just before this, I also recorded a podcast with the CEO of a company called Agility. And he also is, is touching upon a very, very complex type of technology category. And he actually made it freemium. So the growth is bottom up. Users are adopting it, loving it, buying it. And there's many more of those. And I really believe in that. Just because something is extremely difficult or complex doesn't mean it has to be presented in a way that's that's complex as well or requires extreme implementation time. And with your solution, you don't have to kind of implement anything. You just need to subscribe to it and you're there. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and actually um, on that note, I'm not sure if I even mentioned it in our former conversation, we are freemium as well. I don't know if I've even told you that, but we do offer, and this is actually something that was meant to overcome something that we we faced before. If if I, Ton, if you had your company and you were, you know, you found that Prevalian had intelligence on your organization because it was hacked or compromised, nothing's worse than than having to negotiate with me what the cost would be to get that intelligence so you could remediate exactly. your problem. True. So we decided to remove this extortive feeling out of the equation by making it free. So all we ask for is that you pay to look at anyone but yourself. And people have been very receptive. So we have a tremendous amount of usership for that reason. Yeah, I can imagine. It's being there for the right reason. Yeah, exactly. I I like that approach because indeed, the moment you you present something and it's like, hey, hey, you're compromised. Now pay me to fix it or pay pay me to to see what's going on. It feels like, yeah, like, yeah the, the, the wrong reason. Which also brings me to another question that popped up. What do you believe is the stronger driver for, for the growth that you see or the, the, the stronger driver for the desire that you see? Is that the upside question, like creating competitive mm-hmm. advantage, the intelligence into growing and doing the right mergers and acquisitions, for example? Or is it the, yeah, the compromise question and taking it from a defensive perspective? Yeah. So... I can tell you without question, it's still sadly (laughs) the reactionary use case. It's because, again, human nature kind of rears its ugly head again, which is that people tend to not do anything until they're compelled to do something, right? Rarely are they preemptive. So sadly, that's the norm. It's something happens, they have to respond and react, less so proactive. Now, that being said, 
once we get a little bit more traction within the business community, because right now, you know, I'm well known as, as my peers are within the cybersecurity. So cybersecurity is so accustomed to this reactionary methodology. That's kind of where you sort of start by default. I think that the minute there's a groundswell among business people, C-suite, board level people that understand that they can get access to intelligence that's readable and palatable to them, they don't need an analyst to review it. Yeah. They can start to make some informed decisions preemptively that will actually result in making money. I think that will take off and probably eclipse the reactionary. That's my dream. That's kind of a better yeah. answer to the question you asked before. <laughs> exactly. That would be the better scenario, right? Because yeah. now you're getting ahead of something and you're actually benefiting your organization and thwarting the adversaries. No better to, to you know, one, two punch than that, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 I completely agree with that. Yeah, talking about breaking a few eggs. <laughs> so from the customers that you've seen so far, the anecdotes that you get back from them, what makes you most proud? What are the stories that you keep telling? So yeah, there's two good ones that I have. One is a bit more of a, we'll call it a tactical use case of our technology, which is that when COVID broke out, there was a group that got together that was formed fairly organically called the CTI League. And it was intended to help in this case, the hospitals and the healthcare providers and the pharmaceuticals with anything that us in the cybersecurity community could, could do pro bono. And we're very proud because our intelligence was a game changer for that group because we were able to provide visuals. We could provide the hardcore telemetry and the data in terms of what was actually happening in these organizations. And in several cases, the day we provided our intelligence is the day that we saw the spark line. If you remember, we can see what looks like a heartbeat. Yeah. yeah. And it goes to a flat line. Now, in flat line, normally in medical terms, is terrible. But in our, in our world, it's the it's opposite. It's fantastic. Right. Yeah. And so we have, you know, case after case of hospital or clinic that show that they got this. And in, as a parallel to that story, you know, ransomware has been this big, terrible thing that's oh. reared its head in 2020 more than almost anything. There's really nothing in the world that is able to get ahead of ransomware because you essentially are either in the situation or you're not, right? So it's a very bad thing. You're in, and most of the time, you're trying to determine whether you pay the ransom or not. And there's all, these, all this legislation being thrown around about you know, penalizing people for doing it. The beauty of our platform is that we can see the stage one tool that is used to deliver the ransomware package. And if we can tell the organization about that, that conduit, they can close it before the ransomware is even deployed. So in several occasions, we've seen where we've gotten ahead of even a ransomware attack. And that makes us pretty much the first organization wow. on the planet to help preempt a ransomware attack, which is a big deal. Valuable, uh, that's super valuable. Very, very yeah. interesting story. That's more the tactical one. The one that's a little bit more business oriented is one of our major clients uses this for M&A. And they have, we've seen the effects in watching from the outside in how the deals were negotiated fundamentally using our intel because they were able to make some very quick decisions and pivot on certain things they would have otherwise not done. So the fact that you can see the outcome change completely from where it probably would have gone because of what the intel you have delivered has been tremendous. So those are the two use cases we see the most of. The one that's emerging that isn't quite, the story's not finished yet, is that insurance providers are starting to embrace our, our data to use as actuarial models, right? So not too distant from like quant models for financial investing, 
who knows, maybe there'll be a hedge fund that grabs hold of our data and makes very interesting decisions based on what we're seeing. Because again, if we see it, it means that likely there's going to be a headline somewhere that shows this organization is going to be, you know, in a bad place. So if you can get ahead of it, a bit like fortune telling or a little bit of a crystal ball. Yeah, exactly. So they then close the insurance with companies that have to act together. Almost like right. if you look at the, well, drive people driving cars and and with the technology that's currently available and you, you prove that you're just doing the right thing, you're driving the right speed and so on, that you get that's right. Lower lower interest insurance. I mean, yeah, this these are fascinating things that can happen to the industry in terms of creating new business models. And you see again mm-hmm. what technology can do to augment it. Coming to kind of my final my final part of this, from the yeah, you're you're a, you're a tech CEO, and you've been around for for a while in this business. From the lessons that you've learned, the tidbits of wisdom that you you've you've achieved, what would you advise aspiring CEOs or actually tech CEOs that want to yeah do something transformative? Yeah, no, it's a good question. There's a lot of things, obviously. The team is everything with these kinds of technologies, right? You know, getting the right group together is really difficult. Honestly, we've gone through a lot of iterations of different people that would seem a perfect fit that were not others that we took a a gamble with that have been really great. So, you know, and it all depends if, you know, if you're looking to go get fundraising done, you know, they, they look at not only the technology, but they look at the team in a big way. So you really have to have the culture right for these types of things. So that's a big one. And so if you've got the early ideas around who would be the right kind of composition, that's a great starting point because that's what's going to get invested in. Yeah. If you've got something that's already built and you're trying to launch it, marketing and messaging, I'll tell you, I never, you can't put enough money into that. It's interesting because the biggest thing I see with guys in my, my world is they build this incredibly good tool or product and they think it should just sell itself. It's, it works. It's perfect. What's wrong? Why isn't anyone just coming, you know, running through my doorway to grab it? Or, you know, why am I not beating people off with a stick, so to speak, right? It's because the marketing machine that is necessary to get this into the consciousness of the world is incredibly valuable and very hard, actually. So do not skimp on the marketing and messaging and the branding of your product. That's a big one. I didn't tell you anything. <laughs> this is the reason why I started my business in the first place. This is why I wrote my book. Oh, really? It's so oh, yeah. underestimated. Yeah, I mean, people think they are doing the right thing in marketing and they're often so far off still. Yeah, and I mean, as a slightly parallel aspect to that, you have to be willing to ruffle some feathers. You know, this has been the theme of our whole our whole talk today, Ton, you know, yeah. and, and I... I don't do it, you know, in a cavalier kind of arrogant way. And we're a data-driven product that is speaking the truth about situations that are otherwise uncomfortable. But I'll tell you, it garners a tremendous amount of attention. And that's what you need to have a successful company. Exactly. It's what I call in chapter three, trade number three of the book, be different, not better. Or not just better. Yeah. Yeah. Being different, that's, that's required in order to stand out and to raise some eyebrows. And with the segmentation, right, in terms of who you're for, who you're not for, that goes a right. long way. It so really perfect. Does. So what's next for you? Where do you want to take this company in the next 12 months? Well, so, yeah. So there's a lot going on with us. Again, the Gartner Award was something that was unexpected and, and we're humbled by it. It's put us on the map in a way that is very, very interesting. You know, we live in a rarefied air a category of business because, you know, we get a lot of words get thrown around with our technology. It's offensive by nature. It's not just, you know, this defensive tool. 
intelligence is always this very mystical, magical thing to a lot of folks, you know, very much so, right? You know, Palantir now going public has left a bit of a vacuum in the world for a very unique type of company that has this ability to sort of forecast and predict and be precognitive. We might very well be positioned to take that kind of space in and fill that, that void, which will be very interesting. I suspect we'll likely do another round of funding probably mid next year is, is the likely you know, trajectory. But I'll tell you, everything we talked about today, you know, changing the industry, actually forging new industries. You know, I think the insurance industry is one that I have a huge amount of hope for because it's the last bastion of security for most organizations. If they can't keep the adversary out or not you know, impacting them, then at least they can find a way to sort of save their constituents and their stakeholders financially, right? And so that's yeah, the name true. of the game these days. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay. So where can people go to find out more about Trevelyan and how to connect with you to say hi? Sure. Absolutely. So our website's about to go through a major overhaul, but for the moment, it's still, still up and running. You're welcome to reach us there. It's prevalian.com. Again, I always have to spell it for folks. It's P-R-E-V-A-I-L-I-O-N.com. You're more than welcome to reach out to me through that, and I'll be happy to chat with you. Thank you very much. Fascinating story. I like your controversial approach. I like your the belief behind it. Well, to stop something that's really, really bad, and then to also have something that creates something super positive and, and valuable. Like you say, the two-way punch. Thanks for sharing your knowledge, your wisdom about how to kind of create a products that are remarkable and to create a, a company that backs it up to stay remarkable in that way. Thank you, so good That's luck it. with the coming phase. Thank you. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Keep your eyes open. I mean, we're going to be making quite a few announcements and moves in the next little while. So stay tuned. Good. <laughs> I will. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. Take care. And this ends my conversation with Karim. I hope you enjoyed it. If so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Karim Hayaji, founder and CEO of Prevalian. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. 
You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.